Hello again, it's Dr. T, and welcome back to Live from 35, the podcast dedicated to keeping our staff at Skodak Internal Medicine and Pediatrics in the loop on the happenings at 35 Empire State Boulevard during the COVID-19 pandemic. I hope that you all had a good week. It's tough when all the things that we might otherwise be doing, like seeing friends and family, or seeing kids off to school and other activities are on hold. Maybe you have found time to tackle those projects at home that you've been meaning to get to, like cleaning out the basement, or trying out a new recipe. Or perhaps, like my wife and I, you have been watching the Netflix series everyone has been talking about, Tiger King. I look forward to the day when those of you who have watched it can join me in a discussion about whether you think Carol Baskin fed her second husband to the tigers, or whether Joe Exotic is a tragic anti-hero we should feel sympathy for. Hopefully, that day will come soon. Well, I hope that exciting musical interlude from Survivor has you all ready to hear this week's Live from 35 podcast. So, with no further delay, let's get started with the update for the week of April 27th, 2020. First, the celebrity birthdays for this week. This past Saturday, April 25th, our own Rhonda, celebrated a birthday. On April 28th, Jay Leno turns 70, Penelope Cruz turns 46, and Jessica Alba turns 39. April 29th is the 66th birthday of Jerry Seinfeld. Daniel Day-Lewis turns 63. Eve Plum, also known as Jan Brady, turns 62, as does Michelle Pfeiffer. Uma Thurman turns 50. April 30th, Chantel celebrates a birthday along with Cloris Leachman, who turns 94, and Mr. Willie Nelson, who turns 87. May 1st is the 53rd birthday of Tim McGraw, and singer Judy Collins turns 81. This week, we also celebrate the following holidays. April 27th is National Prime Rib Day. April 28th is National Blueberry Pie Day. April 29th is National Zipper Day. April 30th is National Oatmeal Cookie Day, and appropriately enough, also National Raisin Day. Also, it's National Hairstylist Appreciation Day, and at this point of the COVID-19 lockdown, we really appreciate our hairstylists now that we can't see any of them. May 1st is of course May Day, but also National Chocolate Parfait Day. Now it's time for some coronavirus-related news. Last week, we talked about Dr. June Almeida and Dr. Anthony Fauci. This week, we talk about another doctor, Peter Tsai, who retired as a professor in material sciences and engineering at the University of Tennessee last year. I'm sure that you don't know his name, but I think you've seen his work recently. His contribution to science is his invention of the electrostatic charging technology used in heating, ventilating, and air conditioner filters. That same technology is used also in manufacturing something even more important to us during this pandemic, the N95 mask. If you've ever wondered why it's called an N95 mask, well, you're about to find out. The N in N95 means that the respirator is not oil resistant, unlike some other more durable industrial type of respirators you may see out there. For example, the ones that look like gas masks. 
The 95 of N95 means that 95% of submicron particles, such as dust, pollen, and viruses can be filtered out by the mask. Sai's pioneering research centered around the process of how to make layers of lightweight fabric electrostatically charged so they could act as a filter and protective barrier. As the supplies of N95 masks have been at critical levels for many weeks, there has been a lot of effort spent on figuring out how to make N95 masks last longer and how to decontaminate them to prolong their use. Methods currently being explored include hydrogen peroxide gas, as well as ultraviolet light. The problem is so vexing that none other than Dr. Tsai himself came out of retirement recently to help lead a team of researchers to figure out how to clean N95 masks without destroying their structural integrity. Our second news story this week is about a paper that will be released in the July issue of the journal Emerging Infectious Diseases, which is published by the CDC. Last week, the New York Times talked about this paper where a team of Chinese researchers studied how one diner infected with the virus that causes COVID-19 spread the illness to nine other people. What was even more fascinating was that they tried to figure out how 73 other people who were dining on the same floor of this five-floor restaurant at the same time managed to evade getting infected. By this time in the pandemic, we are now all too familiar with the fact that virus-laden droplets are expelled into the air not only through coughing and sneezing, but also from just breathing and talking. So let's set the scene. And to quote Sophia Petrilla from the Golden Girls, picture it, Guangzhou, China, a bustling metropolis 80 miles from Hong Kong, January 24th, 2020. A family of five decides to go have lunch. They had recently left Wuhan, the first hotspot of the outbreak just one day before the authorities issued the lockdown order. They all look healthy, but one of them, a 63-year-old woman whom we'll call patient A, will become sick later that day with a fever and dry cough. She will eventually get tested for the novel coronavirus and will come back positive. Two weeks later, nine others become ill, including the other four members of patient A's family as well as five other diners who were dining on the same floor as patient A. With the help of very intricate contact tracing, authorities figured out that the other customers who were sickened who weren't part of patient A's family likely contracted the virus from being in the restaurant at the same time as they had no other possible exposure to coronavirus. By reconstructing where all the sickened diners were seated, the researchers were able to draw a conclusion that those who sat at the same table as patient A and those that sat at the two tables closest to where patient A and her family were sitting were the only ones that got ill. Furthermore, they were also able to hypothesize that the location of an air conditioner unit near the area of the tables where patient A happened to be sitting made certain patrons of the restaurant more likely to fall ill because of how that air conditioner unit affected the airflow. So, what can we learn from this article? One, it seems coronavirus is spread from droplet transmission and preventing or limiting the spread of viral laden droplets is key to containing the spread of the virus. Two, the direction of airflow is likely an important factor in the spread of droplets and the likelihood that one might be infected. Three, distance matters in terms of lowering the spread of the virus. That is, the farther away you are from a potential source of the virus, the safer you are likely to be. 
and four, virus mitigation efforts like germicidal UV lights might be another thing that could help destroy airborne floating virus particles as restaurants and other venues where crowds gather start to reopen. Last week, I devoted some time to talking about testing for COVID-19. I mentioned that New York State had implemented a random testing strategy to see if the background rate of infection could be determined. Over two days last week, testing took place at various supermarkets throughout our state. The aim was to test for the IgG antibodies against the virus that causes COVID-19. IgG antibodies are the type of antibodies our immune system produce when a person is either recovering or has recovered from an infection. 3,000 samples were eventually obtained and processed at the Wadsworth Health Laboratory run by the State Department of Health in Albany. Among the results from New York City, it was estimated that 21% of those samples were positive. 17% of the samples from the two Long Island counties of Nassau and Suffolk were positive. 12% of the samples from Rockland and Westchester counties, which are located directly north of New York City, were positive. And for the rest of the state, less than 4% of the samples were positive. It is important to remember that not all patients who tested positive necessarily had any symptoms as asymptomatic spread of the virus is a known phenomenon. Using this data, the State Department of Health hypothesized that about 2.7 million out of 19 million New Yorkers might have been infected with the virus that causes COVID-19. As antibody testing becomes more widespread within the state, as well as nationally, it will be interesting to see what the rates of infection will turn out to be. Community Care is now able to do IgG antibody testing against the virus that causes COVID-19. This started last Friday. It's time now for news from the practice. Many of you on furlough probably wonder what a typical day is like inside 35 Empire State Boulevard these days. So I thought I'd spend the next few minutes giving you a peek inside. It's hard to believe, but it has been six weeks since the governor issued his pause order and four weeks since the last time we were all together in one place. All of us get to the office by about 7.30 in the morning. By the way, I learned last Friday that I should not park my car in a different spot because apparently that starts to make everyone nervous that something is amiss. Anyway, our day starts by donning our masks and with everyone doing their daily temperature check. At about 7.40 or so, we hold a pared down version of the team meetings we were holding when the pandemic started in mid-March. Once 8 a.m. hits, we are all off to our stations. Unless we are seeing people live and in person, the providers decamp for their offices to begin the day's telemedicine visits or phone visits. Everyone else mans the phones to take patient phone calls and request for appointments and medication renewals. We see patients in person from 8 to 12. From 12.30 to 1, everyone takes a break and we lock the front doors and work again till about 4 o'clock. We meet regularly as a team to make sure that things are going well and to try to address problems as they crop up. Now, I would like to give you an update on what is ahead for the practice over the next several weeks. As with many things during the pandemic, trying to plan ahead has been very challenging. Once we think we have things figured out, fate 
and circumstance have a way of dragging us back to the drawing board. For example, as we entered the week of April 13th, we had come up with a plan to rotate providers in and out of furlough, only to find that plan completely upended at the beginning of the week of April 20th. On a regular basis, Mary and I have been receiving real-time updates on our financial performance. This is allowing us to guide our decision-making as to our staffing levels. Although we are doing a lot of telemedicine and phone visits and still seeing a few in-person visits during our state's mandated pause order, unfortunately, these remote visits are reimbursed at a much lower rate than in-person visits. To that end, we are working on trying to diversify and improve our income stream. This past Thursday, we reopened our lab for scheduled lab visits once again. We continue to use strict screening criteria to look for COVID-19 symptoms and exposure to help mitigate the risk of an unintentional outbreak within the practice. As I mentioned last week, all patients entering the building have their temperature taken in the vestibule before they can proceed with entry into the main space at the front desk. After some adjustments, we have arrived at the optimal location for this to occur. As social distancing continues to be recalibrated, we are also looking at whether we can safely start seeing some patients in the office again in greater numbers. This includes routine care. We will have appropriate safeguards for staff and patients alike in place. Starting this week, we will pilot this with the assistance of Dr. Leonidas and Dr. Gildersleeve. This week, our provider staff will consist of myself, Renee, Dr. Leonidas, Dr. Gildersleeve, and Alyssa. We had hoped that we could move up the date of the return of many of the providers on a rotating basis, but current financial circumstances dictate that we will need to do this on a more gradual level over the next several weeks. Of course, if our needs increase, that is a good thing, and that will mean that we can all be back together sooner than planned. Our support staff has been increased by one team member over the last several days. To try to bring order to our schedules, we spent a good part of last week figuring out the best way to accomplish this. We settled on reassigning Don and Nikki to the task of trying to get a handle on appointments that needed to be moved based on our proposed rotating provider schedule. As a result, we called the dugout and we welcomed Christina back last Wednesday to help with medication renewal management and also to serve as an added clinical person on the phone to help Tanya, Betsy, and Denise Leggett with the very important role of triaging our patients. This now also frees up Denise Coons to focus on the essential task of submitting billing as soon as possible, so the financial forecasts we get are more accurate, which will allow Mary and myself to make some decisions on staffing levels going forward in a more quicker way than before. Last Friday, I also asked Dr. Gildersleeve and Dr. Leonidas to head up our practice's own Moving Forward Safely Task Force to mimic the one at the corporate executive level. They will meet weekly and will be joined by Tanya, Nikki, and Denise Leggett to help formulate the roadmap for the safe reopening of our practice to regular in-person visits and to help the practice's management team plan for how the practice will operate in an environment where we will likely have a mix of in-person and remote visits for the foreseeable future. Some statistics for last week, we had 416 billable encounters, which was up from 319 the week before. We had 28 in-person appointments compared to 24 the week prior.
Finally, a special thanks to all of you for your hard work and team spirit over the last several months. Community Care was selected again as one of the Capital Region's top places to work last week. A special mention to our own Mary Griswold and Tanya Johnstone, who appeared in the thank you video that went out to all CCP employees last Friday in recognition of our company's achievement. Now some reminders for all of you out there. If you're returning to work from furlough, please remember that although we try our best to get human resources and IT to unfreeze your email accounts, computer access, and security fobs before you arrive back to work, there can be a delay. On your first day back, you may have to come to the front door to be let in. I also suggest that you arrive a little bit early in case your computer access is still blocked, so we have ample time to contact the help desk to reactivate your login information before you start your workday. To comply with our new safety guidelines, please remember that wearing a mask while in the building will be mandatory. Going forward, each employee will be assigned one mask a day. This mask should be reused unless it becomes soiled or damaged. In addition, your temperature will be taken every morning and recorded, and if it is out of range, we will be sending you home. If you are feeling ill, please don't come in and let your supervisor know that you will be staying home. Remember that you are welcome to listen to the WebEx talks that Dr. Musto gives during the week. Starting this week, the talks will now be on Monday and Thursday nights at 5.30 in the evening. Please consult the login information that I will send out on the group text announcing the release of this week's podcast. If you are interested in participating in the encouragement and support group WebEx sessions that are being held by the Community Care Behavioral Health staff, please see the group text that will be sent out with the announcement of this week's Live from 35 episode release. There will be two sessions weekly. One will be held on Wednesdays at noon. The second one will be moved to a new time to accommodate the change in the schedule for Dr. Musto's WebEx talks. Each session lasts for 45 minutes and is led by Dr. Stone, the director of the Behavioral Health Program. As a friendly reminder, Governor Cuomo has signed an executive order that requires the wearing of a facial covering while in public when social distancing of greater than six feet cannot be maintained. If you are going to wear a mask outside of the office, please do not use the one that you would use during your work day. Please limit your trips out of the house to only those trips that are essential and remember to continue practicing social distancing. At this time, the governor's pause order is still in effect until May 15th. I know I don't have to remind you of this, but contrary to President Trump's musings, I do not recommend UV lights nor the off-label use of disinfectant spray and liquid to prevent and or treat COVID-19. You know it's getting strange and crazy when Lysol was forced to send out a tweet after the president's afternoon press conference last Thursday to stop people from doing something toxic to themselves. For those of you who didn't see that tweet, it read, quote, under no circumstance should our disinfectant products be administered into the human body through injection, ingestion, or any other route, period, end quote. we've come to the end of this week's edition of Live from 35. If you have anything that you want addressed or announced on next week's edition, please let me know ahead of time. Until next week, stay safe, stay well, and take care of yourself and look out for those who may need help. 
And to help take us into the next week, I give the honors to Willie Nelson. There are many great Willie Nelson songs to choose from, like Always On My Mind, Mama's Don't Let Your Babies Grow Up To Be Cowboys, his rendition of the song Blue Skies, and even his cover of Coldplay's The Scientist, which actually makes a Coldplay song worth listening to. My apologies to any of you who might be Coldplay fans out there. What better way to end this week than his iconic song, On the Road Again? Here's a little known fact. Willie wrote this whole song and its lyrics on the back of a barf bag during a plane flight to Los Angeles in a mere 45 minutes. Here's hoping that all of you out on furlough will be back on the road again to us sometime soon, and that together we will all be back out on the road to a brighter future in the months ahead. Catch you next week on Live from 35.